0: Alright, hey everybody, it's John Hall, the Senior Editor of Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine, and sitting across from me right now is Christopher Sidwa. He is the co-founder of the Sydney, Australia-based Batch Brewing Company. They're a craft brewery that makes beer the traditional way, handcrafted batch by batch. He's also the author of Brew-A-Batch, A a Beginner's Guide to Home-Brewed Beer... Chris, we're going to talk a lot about uh, being down under, but first, uh, thanks for being here. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, John. And we're going to talk about your lack of accent in just a second as well. But first, as the brewing industry's premier choice for glycol chilling, G&D Chillers has set the standard on quality, service, reliability, and dedication to their customers' craft. For 25 years, g has led the way with innovative solutions for the craft brewing industry. Contact g Chillers today at 1-800-555-0973 or reach out online at gdchillers.com. Mention Craft Beer and Brewing Podcast, this one that you're listening to right now, and you'll receive up to $1,000 worth of glycol with the purchase of any new g chiller unit. And also, stay connected to the heart of craft beer and the revolutionary tastemakers behind every can and bottle. Download the free Tabor app to get highly rated, independent craft beer delivered right to your door. Recent featured beers include Within Us from Anchorage, Stargate Nectarine from Black Project, King Sue from Toplin' Goliath, Ninja vs. Unicorn from Pipeworks, and Beer Du Pays from Side Project. Get $10 in beer money today with the code BREWING. All right. Chris Sidwa, Batch Brewing Company, uh, Sydney, Australia. We're sitting here in New Jersey, though, which is where you're originally from.
1: Yes. Uh, we're in South Orange. I grew up in Maplewood, one town over. Um, yeah. Come home after 11 years of being abroad, six of which were running Batch. Um, but yeah, the you know, family reasons, it's time to be home with the grandparents and... Yeah, and you're still
0: going to stay involved with the
1: brewery, though. Yes, very much. Um, so my work day right now, or my work week, begins on Sunday night, uh, checking in with the team, making sure you know they have what they need to be productive for the week. Um, you know, paying bills, ordering materials, making sure the schedules uh, full, and uh, yeah, unfortunately, it does mean I have a lot of sort of 10 p.m. to 2 a.m. Uh, sessions sure. on the phone, but. You know, there's a nap in the middle of the day for me, and I <laughs> seem to be making it work.
0: But sort of the interesting thing in being back here in the States where, I mean, the beer culture is what it is, and I think that, that the rest of the world is sort of looking at the U.S. right now for, uh, for inspiration, and, and certainly there's brewers standing up and delivering all the time. You being able to visit some of these breweries, uh, being immersed in this culture, can probably filter back into... What's happening back at home?
1: What's yeah? What's happening in Australia is is definitely unique to Australia. I mean, there's there's tax rules, there's drinking cultures, there's just differences. But yes, absolutely, the pointy end of the beer uh, nerdery is always looking at you know what they've what they've tried when they've been on a holiday, um, what you know, magazines like yours are talking about, what what the taste you know makers are talking about. Um, you know, I haven't been asked. To brew a dessert beer yet? I'm sure that's coming. <laughs> um, pastry stouts haven't pastry. made their way down under. Okay, um, maybe somebody's done it, but I'm not aware. Um, but we've, you know, I've kind of had my head in different places over the last six months, preparing to move and starting a second brewery and a new bar. Um, so my, I've been a little bit distracted and leaving some of the um, creativity to my brewing team. Uh, but now that you know we're settled down a little bit, I, I look forward to getting out, seeing what folks in New Jersey and New York are doing, and Yeah, filtering some of that back down there with with a little bit of a lens of what what will and won't work in Australia, because I do have 11 years of drinking good beer there to be able to figure out what's going to fly. So I'm
0: curious, there's a lot that I want to unpack from all of that, but so the pastry stout has been in a lot of ways... um, local localized desserts, you know, for places. So like, you know, you see, you know, some of the cannolis or, you know, around in this area or bear claws up in in, in New England and things like that. Would there be a quintessential Australian dessert that could make its way
1: into a pastry staff? Do you think off the top of my head? There's the Lamington. So chocolate and coconut. Okay. Perfect beer compliments. Uh, we do a, a chocolate coconut, um, Huge Kahuna. We do a we do a big Kahuna, which is a you know, coconut brown ale. Uh, This time of year, we also do one batch of the huge Kahuna, which came out a couple weeks ago, which basically is a Lamington beer. Um, So maybe uh, I stand corrected. So So you've have already gotten there. (laughs) Um, Off the top of my head, yeah, nothing's jumping out at me beyond that one. But there is there is a huge food culture down there, which definitely has a hand in the beer culture. So it's just a matter of time before, you know, bakeries and 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 brewers get together and figure that out. There, actually, a, a, there are some really fancy donut shops. So Wayward, who's a brewery around the corner from us, they have a, a donut shop across the street from them, and they've done a couple of donut beers. Um, I think that's it that I can think of. though.
0: You, you mentioned and 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 I had a chance to visit your brewery a couple years ago uh, briefly, but. The thing that I was sort of struck when I was in Australia and New Zealand a few years ago is that there is outside influence, but for the most part, it is a fairly self-contained market. Like, there's not a lot of uh, beers that make their way outside of the country, or at least over here. Um, as far as like what's you know, the majority of stuff that's being made, like it, I, there's demand for local beer to stay local. Um, yeah and that you can expand out if you want to. but for the most part, like you can also do really well um, if you stay local. And I think that that sort of fits into you you started to talk about a little bit about like the drinking culture and how important local is
1: and even food wise local is. the The food system there has never quite gotten as industrialized as as it has in the states. And I think people, you know, because of a TV show called Master Chef, which is English, I think it was even here. But in Australia, it was it was a huge hit. That's the one with the ends. angry
0: guy? That's uh, Gordon Ramsay? Uh,
1: in Australia, Maybe. it's got a couple local guys who okay. do it. But um, it just means that, you know, folks in their suburban houses have gotten really passionate about finding the best raw materials to make the best meals with. Uh, we do that in our brewery. Uh, and in the brewing world, people are, are asking for the same sorts of things. So uh, we've been working with uh, a farmer uh, who became a maltster. Uh, it was the first one in Australia that I'm aware of in, in, in generations. Sure. Uh, and that means that our raw materials, the vast majority of them, come you know six hours by truck instead of getting shipped all over the country or worse, mm-hmm. from around the world. Um, and it means that we get to have a little bit more impact or, or decision-making in terms of what gets grown, which means for the first time we're not using barley that's made – that's grown and, or bred and grown for you know, super high alcohol potential, but instead it's grown uh, for flavor. So it's, it's a lower attenuating sp- uh, base malt. It means we get you know, a bit of a fuller, tastier beer. And there's only a few farmers left in the country who were smart enough to hold on to some of that seed. And we, luckily enough, got connected with one. You know, it was very fortuitous. And as a, home, as a couple of home brewers, uh, who are on a farm, who are trying to figure out how to stay on a farm, just the way farm, farm economics goes, mm-hmm. fewer and fewer people are needed to do that you know, larger and larger production of, of raw materials. So we, you know, where there were 10 jobs a decade ago, there's one. So as you grow up in, that industry, in that, those families or in that industry, most of them have to go out and find other work. And that's what these guys had to do. One became a teacher, the other a financial planner. But now they're both back in a malt house close to the farm where they want to be and uh and selling selling malt all over the country Uh, so so we get to have a local material from that we get to make you know what what we think of as you know really new south wales or or australian beer um but there's there's a lot of inputs coming from or inspiration coming from overseas like as i said people are aware of what's happening Oh, of course not entirely blocked off it is a an island that's far from everything. If you want to get on a plane, like the closest thing is five hours away. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then, in terms of beer leaving the country, yeah, I guess a lot of it is made to stay. The, the industry is relatively young. Um, a few of us have been lucky enough to be able to get some good quality control. Uh, Tools and and we're doing the best we can to make our beer shelf stable.
0: Yeah,
1: um, but many don't have that luxury, and you know the thought of putting it on a truck to go across the desert, let alone on a boat to cross the equator, is just outside of any expectation.
0: So, and that's a question that I knew I, I've seen you get this in the in in the past, and uh, and and just for full disclosure, I mean I've known you for years now. We're in South Orange, which is my hometown. Uh, I grew up uh, knowing your wife and her, and her family. Like we've, you know, it's, it's weird that like we've crossed paths in the beer world, but like, you know, personally, like we've known each other for uh, longer than we've been in the, in the beer industry, but um, or, or covering the beer industry. Um, But I've seen you get the question in the past of, well, you have this brewery in Australia. Are you going to bring the beers here to the U.S.? You know, you are a U.S. guy. Like, you know, don't you want your beers being served in Jersey? And I've seen you shut that down so fast. Of just absolutely not. Like, I don't, I don't want to do that. Like, you are committed to this local. Well,
1: I, I am, I'll, and I'll come back to that in a second. Sure. Uh, there are a few folks in Australia who have done a good job of getting their beer outside of the country, and, and for the most part, I believe they're finding production in the market where they're having the beer sold. Okay. There are some kegs that do travel, but um, some of the the bigger end of town has you know is part of corporations who own breweries in local in different places and are able to do that. Sure. Um, Little Creatures is opening a brewery bar in San Francisco. I think they've already got one in London. Uh, so you do have a, a few people doing a few things. Uh, Four Pines, which is recently ABI now Asahi, maybe. Um, oh
0: yeah, the recent sale was just announced there. Yeah. yeah. I don't know if it's closed yet, but yeah.
1: But they're, they're working on getting some beer or, or have gotten some beer into California. Um, so there is a little bit of that stuff happening at the, at the pointy end of town. But, uh, but yeah, I mean... I mean much- and, it's, and in some cases, I imagine like it, it'd be kind of fun to,
0: to do that because the rest of the world uh, thinks of fosters, right? I mean, it's just... Like, there was a brilliant marketing campaign. So to you know, have something that represents Australia out there that's not that... You know, that's not this, uh, you know, kangaroo-labeled, you know, whatever, uh, you know, industrial lager. Like, there's got to be some appeal
1: for some of these brewers to do that. And, and I'm happy that they do it if yeah. they've got the means, and, and they're happy to, to test that out. and I'm, I'm glad that they do. I think, you know, it's been six weeks since I've landed back in New Jersey, and, you know, we've got this second brewery and, and bar opening up, and that's been dominating my time. But I do foresee at some point after that settles in, and, you know, my family, who, you know, my wife is expecting in sort of eight, ten weeks. Um, once baby two kind of settles down and, and I can, you know, pick my head up again, I, I do think I'm going to get interested in finding out whether or not my brand will fly in this country or more specifically in New Jersey. And at that point, if, if my business partner and I decide that it's worth exploring, uh, I would look to find some local production utilize local raw materials. So it would, it would be a new story. It wouldn't be taking those flavors that we create in new, in Sydney and bringing them to New Jersey. It would be figuring out how to bring that ethos to New Jersey and you know, you know, whether or not that's got any legs. And that, I think, for
0: smaller breweries these days is the way to go because it's 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 one of the better ways of doing authenticity versus just brand marketing for a lot of the things. I mean, it's... I've talked to brewers on this show in the past who have said, you know, like the days of the million barrel barrel breweries uh, are over uh, for the most part. You know, there's probably nobody new who's going to open up in the foreseeable future who's going to hit a million barrels. Founders is probably going to be the last. And so you have to find other ways to diversify. And there's, you know, folks like Evan Watson up at Plan B in in the Hudson Valley of New York who everything that goes into his beer is grown on his farm. Uh, You know, it's sort of this amazing uh, and we see that more and more these days. And that to me, I, I guess, is, is that a better one? You have to believe in that to do it, right? If you're just doing it to put it on a label, people will see through that eventually.
1: You, you can't scale it up right now. I mean, the, the craft, for lack of a better term, raw material industry isn't ready to produce what an industrial brewer would need if they wanted to scale it up. So the two have to go hand in hand and grow together. But for me, it's, it's, I'm not a brand guy. I'm not a marketing guy. I'm, I'm an economist and a brewer and, and an environmentalist. And you know, I'm not too fussed about brand for the sake of you know pushing batch out to people. I'm much more interested in how to do things in a new and, and sustainable and, and thoughtful way. And, and along the way, you, you get to create and tell that story. So, I mean, we don't have to bring our, our flavors with us and set up some huge high-scale operation to push it out into the world. I mean, we can just just tinker, and if it works, it works. If it doesn't, you know, just find something different <laughs> to, to fill our time with. So we're, we're quite busy in Sydney. Like, this is just, you know, fortuitous that I'm here and able to look into this, but um, the Australian market is still our focus. There's so much happening there. Uh, I mean, it is very similar to to the U.S. in that there have been a few high-profile people building large breweries breweries and you know that it's getting crowded so we're i mean our goal right now is to to not focus so much on, on growing capacity as it is growing more drinkers because in my view you've got a hell of a lot more beer being produced than there are craft beer fans so sure the whole industry needs to stop installing stainless and start c- selling to to the punters who converting are converting people yeah yeah i
0: mean we've seen that here in the u.s that you know uh, overall drinker Drinkership of uh of craft independent whatever is you know around thirteen percent and it's been sort of in that general area for the last couple of years as well. So it's you know craft talking to craft where it really should right. be you know craft talking to you know the people who are still going out and you know making you know drinking natterdays or drinking uh you know hard seltzer or become a brewery that makes a natterday and makes a hard seltzer and then you know but just pushes it from a local angle.
1: Yeah. I mean, I heard you a while ago, this, this would go back years, just in a casual conversation saying we need to stop talking about craft beer. It's just beer. We're mm-hmm. all doing the same thing. And and that's it. Like, Just because mine is small doesn't make it better or, or more authentic. It just means that I'm talking to fewer people. And if I want my business to grow, I need to talk to more people. And that's that's where we're spending a lot of our time. So our, our breweries actually, the second one that we're building, we've got 10 barrels installed in a facility with 17, you know, 20-barrel tanks. So, it's a, you know, for us, it's a decent yeah. cellar, uh, keeps us busy. But we're not full. By no means are we at, like, you know, full capacity. Uh, so rather than, you know, expanding and building a bigger brewery where we didn't need it, we've actually gone and built a smaller brewery. So we've got a three-barrel system with, you know, 10 three-barrel fermenters that are going to let us focus all of our creative energy on these smaller batches to, to you know, test processes. If we want to refine existing beers, we'll be able to do that. If we want to build a pipeline of new releases, we'll be able to do that. If we want to brew just a wacky, you know, crazy beer with some raw material that we can never get at a 10 barrel scale, then we can do that too. We can have some fun. And in the same time, you know, we're having that creative outlet, we'll still be able to produce on a a bigger level to reach the national market and to, you know, continue to make that brewery safer, more efficient, and, uh, and just a more pleasurable place to work. It's been, it's been a, a fun journey. Lots of challenges, you know, getting that production to where it is. Um, just constantly spending money. Yeah. <laughs> installing new equipment. moving. Well, that's around. the universal language. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, you know, it's got a few more things to do to make it really efficient. And then, you know, well, I think we'll have a nice play of these two breweries that bounce off each other and, you know, one feeding the other and the other pushing it out in decent volume. But again, just got to keep, keep being creative and keep talking about, you know, what, what we're doing and, you know, the, the goals that we've gotten, the flavors we're trying to create and hopefully keep attracting some of these drinkers who've just been bland beard to death. All right. We'll dive into that more in just a minute. But first,
0: uh, I just want to thank another one of our sponsors, PacTech, which delivers the highest quality and most environmentally responsible packaging handles to the craft beer industry. PacTech handles are made from 100% post-consumer recycled material and are repurposed from recycled milk jugs. In addition, they're also 100% recyclable. PackTech recently launched its own recycling program to ensure PacTech handles are properly recycled and repurposed. They're easy to apply by hand or increase your packaging efficiency with their robust line of automated applicators. Packtech's packaging solutions deliver better market presence, enhanced consumer value, environmental awareness and improved sales. Packtech handles are the smart and sustainable packaging choice. Contact Packtech today at area code 541 541- 615000 or visit uh, them at packtech-opi.com. That's packtech-opi.com. Also, balancing barley and hops is your expertise, and for Clarion lubricants, food grade lubricants is theirs. The team at Clarion knows that when it comes to making great beer, you're the expert. And when it comes to supplying food-grade lubricants backed by service-oriented professionals, they're the experts. Clarion will work with you to create an efficient lubrication program that helps protect your brewery. To speak with an expert, dial 1-855-MY-CLARION. That's one 1-855- 855 Six nine two five two seven four, or visit ClarionLubricants dot Clarion Lubricants, the experts that experts trust. We talked about malt and your Chris Sidow Batch Brewing Company. Uh, we talked about malts and. I think the, the one thing that, that everybody gets excited about in the Southern hemisphere are the hops that are being grown there. And yes. you have access to the farms there. You guys are probably out on hop selection. You guys are doing the whole thing to uh, really get the, you know, the freshest, uh, the most exciting, the, the, you know, the vibrant hops that get the world noticing and interesting. And that's probably been the, the, the number one thing that has, I'm imagining supercharged the craft industry, the beer industry, down by you guys is the hop crop and the the attention that the rest of the world is sort of paying, and then the benefit that you as a local brewer have been getting.
1: The yeah, the Australian hops are are really interesting, huge, bold, you know, vibrant flavors. Um, you know, the Australia's probably got one or two, maybe two beer styles that it can claim as its own: um, the sparkling ale and then the Pacific ale. And the Pacific ale, you, you can't make it without galaxy hops uh, it's just I mean that's that is what it is what's the rest of
0: the profile of a Pacific ale
1: um, unfiltered low ABV uh, not bitter just very sessionable it's the kind of beer you start drinking at one o'clock and you can be still drinking at nine o'clock okay it's perfect for a day at the beach barbecues cricket games all those things that Australians love um, yeah very very vibrant stone and wood you know, made it. You know, they—they they pretty much were it. That—that that, that was their leading beer. It was the best-selling beer, most popular beer. I shouldn't say best-selling. I don't know that, but most popular beer in the country for years. Um, recently, some other folks have started making Pacific ales. There were some court cases. Apparently, the government says you can call your beer Pacific ale. Right. Um, they but- never trademarked it. Uh, yeah just known I'm,
0: for it it's the whole breakfast stout thing yeah yeah
1: fuzzy on the details that's but fine they own that space as far as i'm concerned i would never touch it but uh yeah we love galaxy hops i mean what they don't use and we can get our hands on we love to to play with um kiwi hops are very interesting so the australians have had such great success with galaxy vic secret vic secret was in my opinion better Um, yeah, you love that hop.
0: You're, you're an unabashed
1: fan. I do. What, what what
0: is it about that that stands out for you? Like, what does it bring to a beer?
1: Um, vibrant fruit, but I, for me, it lasts a little longer in the beer. So some of the issues I've had making beers with Galaxy in the past is that they get a little bit cheesy as the beer starts to age. Vic's Secret, I haven't seen that happen. So, Hmm. I mean, we try really hard to make sure our beer's being produced at the rate in which it's being consumed, but when products do sit around a little bit longer, you still crack that you know IPA made with Vic Secret and it smells fantastic. Um, you know, I, I'm I, my palate is is pretty good, but it's also a little bit binary. It's like I like it or I don't like it. I'm not one of these guys who can taste every single nuance and every single hop. Um, Vic Secret for me is one that I just more often than not crack a beer. I like it. And and it it's it's in some of the core recipes that are the beers that I reach for the yeah. most. So for me, it just just works.
0: Um, but you started to talk about the kiwi hops. Then what's coming out of New Zealand?
1: Yeah. So so Vic Secret Galaxy. Um, that's kind of it. The the guys at HPA have been throwing so much acreage uh, towards Galaxy just to keep up with demand. You know, there's a few other things that have had to fall away because of it. You know, they've got fixed real estate, so they're, they're growing as fast as they can. But, you know, as Americans and, and UK brewers are wanting more Galaxy, that's just where they're going. Uh, which means that, you know, as we want to explore more flavors, we're just looking around. And the next best option is the New Zealand crops. And they've got a very broad portfolio. So that makes it interesting. It also makes it challenging because it's kind of like having too much choice because I don't know where to start but with a three barrel brewery hope to be able to, to crack into that and start exploring. And, uh, they also have a range of organic hops, which is, you know, something we'll look into. Hmm. Um, but yeah, they're, they're, they having really good crop years. They, you know, being an isolated Island that New Zealand is, they, they seem to be, no, I shouldn't say immune touch wood, but they seem to be resistant to some of these other issues you know, agronomically that, um, that some of the other hop growing regions have. And they just keep getting good crop after good crop. And it's going to be fun exploring what they're doing.
0: Yeah. For this new three barrel brew house, uh, you've talked about uh, experimenting. You've also talked about refining your processes. And I think that that's one of those things where I've always enjoyed hearing that from brewers, because I remember talking to Ken Grossman years ago where he was saying, that, you know, like, Pale Ale is never quite done. Uh, you know they're always looking to, you know, make it better or to adjust. Like you can't just it's it's not the Ron Popeil set it and forget it. Like okay, we made this, you know, great ones. It's it's constantly striving to make it you know better. You never want to fall backwards. But on on a three barrel system, what what are you looking or what are you hoping to achieve as far as the refining process? Like where. Where do you want to start? Like, What, what are you excited? Like what avenues are you, are you looking forward to, to going down just to see what happens?
1: So our, our, our brewery started by myself, my business partner, Andrew. We had some good help from a fellow named Tofer early on, um, who was one of the guys playing lacrosse with us when Andrew and I met. Uh, but we're all homebrewers. I mean, none of us have any formal training. One of my brewers now, Andrew Mellie, has got some um, qualification through the Institute of Brewing and Distilling. But we're all homebrewers, so, you know, we're kind of just guessing half the time. <laughs> so we want to be able to continue to guess and, and you know, like we look up to the, the leaders in the industry. We listen to every podcast and read every book we can uh, and, you know, try to find time to, to get to industry events and, and you know, formal education if and when we can. Yeah. We have to be honest. I mean, we're 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 not professional. Well, we're professionals because we bought a brewery and started brewing, but we're not qualified or trained. So, uh, some of this stuff is just going to be us testing things that other brewers have already figured out, but might be a little bit tight lipped about. Um, when to dry hop? How long to dry hop? Dry hop cold? Dry hop warm? Um, we haven't used finings. We don't filter. Uh, so, getting into some of that to extend shelf life and and just brighten flavor. Uh, I've been reluctant to do it in production because we you know, can't risk losing a batch and then shorting our customers. But in, in a smaller facility, we can definitely get away with pushing the boundaries on you know, shortening dry hops to, to not extract too much flavor or you know, finding the right temperature, whatever it happens to be. Um, and then, and then d- using different raw materials as well. So our pale ale has been consistent since we started we did one migration from sort of what, what I might call industrial raw materials to these you know, smaller, craftier raw materials, and that took a few batches to nail. Um, but since that changed three years ago, we haven't really evolved that product at all, and people's taste buds are evolving. So we have the choice. Do we evolve it? Do we keep it stagnant? Do we you know, keep pleasing the people who love that old standby, or do we try to please the new people who want hoppier, juicier flavors? Maybe it's a different product, maybe it's the same product, but all of that stuff will get tested and evaluated and we'll have you know a hundred seat bar, which is the big purpose for sure. doing this as well. Um, in the small end of town, you need that retail. but we we'll, we're really going to challenge our brewers to to pour the beer, do do a bartending shift, ask a lot of questions, get that feedback and and therefore you know have it firsthand and don't rely on the bar staff to relay it to you, because sometimes that just doesn't happen.
0: And it's a bad game of telephone as well,
1: yeah. Yeah. How did, this, how did this beer land with the population? Oh, yeah, it was good. Everyone seemed to like it. Okay, well, I don't know what to do with that. <laughs> just brew it again? Uh, come on. So having, forcing the brewers to you know, become a bit more personal and ask questions and, and get involved is going to hopefully yield some positive feedback. Or negative, I mean, but positive in the sense that we'll be able to continue to improve the product. Yeah,
0: for our brewing industry guy, I was talking to Jeff Irway from Lucumbre Brewing Company down in New Mexico, and he was saying that he actually encourages his shift brewers, and he does it himself, to go out to the bar uh, during happy hours or after their shift, and actually like talk to the customers, not just like sit at the end of the bar by themselves, or uh, but to to interact and engage. And he said that it's actually led to uh, better decisions in 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 the brew house. But I, I'm curious because. It, you run the risk sometimes of giving the people what they want versus what's actually good to give them.
1: Yes. Yeah. That's something that's definitely on my mind right now. Uh, As we try to formalize our production brewery and get more volume out there. Yes. Do we lead and say, this is what you should be drinking or do we feed the masses? If the brewer, if sorry, if the bars are saying, give me a hazy pail, do we just brew that because that's what they want? Or do we say these beers are actually overflavored, and and you're gonna get your palate's gonna get taxed, and you know you're gonna have one, but it's not gonna actually sell that well. So there's this, this sort of challenge. Yes, I don't have the answer. Yeah, and 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 that's sort of the thing because
0: if to maintain, I think there there is the balance between the core brands and something that somebody can go to, but continuously evolving them to make them you know, to make them better, and then, you know, the specialty one-offs or the seasonals or the, um, uh, you know, whatever else, you know, the special ingredients that, that come by, but even something like that with those balances, I mean, that, that's a tough thing
1: to juggle regardless of your size. It is. Um, well, just shifting gears a little bit back yeah. to the, the brewers, getting them face-to-face with people is, is definitely going to get feedback on what they want. But it's also, here's what I think you should be drinking because, you know, this is what I do. This is what my profession is. Um, well, in that case, it's this. just going to be all lagers.
0: But yeah, well, like, <laughs> at yeah. least here in the U.S. It's just, yeah. We, we do here's have a couple of tanks. Here's my Light. Yeah.
1: yeah. Um, but, but handing them a beer, telling them why they made it, what flavors to expect from it, and then asking that customer, that, that consumer, did we achieve that? Are you getting that on your palate? Um, I, look, I think that's, that's critical feedback. And yeah, and a lot of brewers, as you said, they're going to sit in the corner and because we're a lot, a lot of us are introverted, myself included. <laughs> yeah. uh, I find if I'm not actually pouring the beer out, then I don't engage in conversation. So I love doing bar shifts and getting right in there. And, and, you know, people come in and they say, oh, I'll just have a pale ale and it's like, well, sometimes I got four. Do you want hoppy? Do you want malty? Do you want um, something that's a bit hazy like you know you can and, and and that overwhelms a lot of people especially in sydney it's still a relatively young market so rather than making them decide and putting them on the spot you just hand them three beers and say which of these do you want you know this one might have a completely different yeast that if i described it to you you would just be like no no no, that sounds too complicated but if you drink it you might go oh, that's pretty good yeah so
0: And that goes to growing the market as well. So it's not just, you know, craft speaking to craft. It's, you know, you need to grow the overall customer base and somebody who might come in. I mean, I think the intimidation factor is still the biggest thing it is. for a lot of non-craft drinkers.
1: Like you know? some people, they don't know how to pronounce Saison. You know? Sure. Like, so they're not going to order it because they don't want to be, sound stupid when they say it. So rather than, we call it a farmhouse because that just takes away the the possibility of, yeah, them not buying it because of the name. But Jeff O'Neill at Industrial Arts does that as well. Just, yeah. yeah, cool. And, and just throw it in their hand and then tell them after the fact. And then nine times out of ten, they're going to love it anyway. Dark beers. I love dark beers. I love putting them in front of people who think, oh, it's going to be heavy. You know, there's, it's two old. It's this fantastic beer. Um, it'd be if Budweiser had a dark beer in her portfolio. Okay. I mean, that's, it's, it's been around forever. It's an industrial brand people have great memories of it and a lot of people have terrible memories of it and that's <laughs> and that's turned an entire generation off of dark beer mm-hmm. because they had one of those when they were a kid and it's you know it was too overwhelming but now you throw our elsie the milk stout or a brown ale in front of somebody and you just say try it and and nine times out of ten they're they, they come across the line it's that's that's yeah it makes me so happy when you can convert somebody who's got all these preconceived notions. Just give me a lager, give me a pale ale. We've got 10 taps, usually very broad in terms of what the options are. And I pretty much always find something for even a non-beer drinker.
0: But. So back to the experimentation with your three barrel system, you'll be able to explore some new flavors, and I think one of the the things that I've really enjoyed about the last couple of years in in you know, the beer scene here in America is finding local ingredients or finding uh, exotic fruits or something that speaks to uh, you know the localness of it all. If it's down in the Carolinas, and you're doing something with moxie soda, or you're, uh, you know, out in the Midwest and doing something with, you know, like berries that only grow, you know, in northern Michigan or something like that. You yeah. Know, um, what have you come across that you're excited to, to mess around with?
1: Um, well, first off, we are supporting a young hop farmer. Uh, they've done sort of three harvests, I think, maybe two that have gone commercial. Um, So getting some of these hops, you know, they're traditional hops, Cascade, sods, Centennial. um, But they're grown in a region that hasn't grown hops maybe ever before. Uh, It's in the mountains. It's relatively similar, uh, you know, sort of climate and geography to the the industrial hop areas in, in Australia. But it's outside of the traditional sort of longitude or latitude or whatever.
0: And that new, it's probably not necessarily going to remind you too much of Cascade Centennial. Or exactly. Some, yeah.
1: It's it's New South Wales Cascade. I mean, if they could change <laughs> the name, that would be better because it's probably not going to taste anything like what you'd expect it to. But that's a raw material that we look forward to to playing with more. Um, there's a bunch of fruits that we've uh, we've been buying. Our stone fruit from a guy. He's the, the last grower in the Sydney Basin. Um, real estate development has just exploded it's all residential now, all the farmers have, are getting pushed out. Uh, he grows really good fruit. He's got um, these incredible blood plums that come out Christmas time, uh, but sitting there and chopping fruit for you know two days straight just to make a, a full size batch. Is, and and Christmas time
0: in Australia is what 100 degrees plus, yeah.
1: okay, yeah. But that beer comes out vibrant and beautiful and, and just fantastic and people look forward to it
0: i don't know if i've ever had a blood plum I know they blood might oranges, be called black
1: like... or red plums here i'm not sure okay See, down in a the shop there's oh there's you've a seen varieties. them here in the u.s okay but it's that that plum that's sort of got a blackish skin and a very 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 dark purpley red okay. flesh and, okay and it just adds great flavor but incredibly vibrant color uh, so so we'll be able to continue to support them not answering your question exactly Um, We work with a frozen fruit provider who's importing a fair bit of stuff. Um, Very unique things. I mean, I had to go on Wikipedia just to figure out what the hell he's got. (laughs) Um, So we'll get to play with some of that. There's a lot of, you know, bush tucker. There's a lot of stuff that um, Australians go foraging for. The flavors are intense. Uh, like what,
0: like for example, I mean, that, that, that's a totally just foreign concept for me.
1: Yeah. I'm not the greatest on this, but there's these Davidson plums, which are incredibly sour. Um, there's, you know, things like lemon myrtle. There's, there's stuff that just grows wild. Uh, that again, they're just, the the climate is, is harsh. Um, it feels like after 60,000 years of evolution over there that, you know, only the most intense could survive. And and the flavors are intense as well. So when we get in and start playing around with them, we're gonna to have to you know, be quite restrained. Um,
0: and that goes back to your to your home brewing background. Um, and I do want to you know point out. I mean, you have the book that came out, uh, Brew a Batch: The Beginner's Guide to Homebrewed Beer, uh, which came out a couple of months ago. Um, you still have that 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 bug in you, right? I, I mean, I you, do. you you. Streak me as a guy who still seems to identify, even though you have a professional operation, as still very much the home brewer and still the very much like, you know, you want to follow certain things, but you also want to, you know, have some fun with it as well.
1: Yeah, our brewery is, is a big home brewing setup. I mean, we're, we're going to evolve a little bit. Like I said, we don't filter. I don't have any intention of filtering. Uh, we are starting to use some finings. These are things I just, I never used in my home brewing because you, know, you don't have to. I just preferred to make something that was a little more natural or, or you know less produced. Um, and, and our brewery will continue to go down both paths. We'll see what the market wants more of. Uh, I, yeah, I, I'm just so focused right now. I have a young baby, uh, this, this growing business that my head has been entirely just going back to what I know, which is keeping the books, making sure the bills are paid. <laughs> And I've been outsourcing to my team some of the creativity, but again, as I think things settle in with our our expansion project projects, and uh, and my personal family, uh, I I can't wait to get a homebrewing kit, start messing around with stuff here. Uh, I think I'll go back to the method that I teach in the book, which is you know just extract and some specialty grains. I don't need to run a mash. Uh, I didn't have time for it when I had you know a day job and only had weekends to mess around with making beer and and quite frankly like with kids as you would know it's yeah. like you, you don't have time necessarily for a long brew day so if I can truncate it just get my fermentables from some extract and still be able to play with the flavor from the specialty malts the the fruits the yeast um, then I'm gonna you know get everything out of it that I need without the added sort of pain of, of grinding and mashing and, and all the rest.
0: You just touched upon something that we've been talking about at the office a little bit. And that I, I'm starting to hear more and more from brewers as well is that yes, beer is a business. And and first and foremost, you have to think about it You know that way. It's, yes. it's a creative business, but you have to worry about the spreadsheets and you have to worry about making payroll and the deliveries going out on time and the ingredients coming in and making sure that you have enough in the tanks and all of that. And, when when you're a home brewer, you're not necessarily thinking about that because there, there's none of that involved uh, in it. And I'm starting to hear more and more from 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 brewers that they miss those days. That you wake up one morning and it's 15 years later, it's 10 years later, and you say, "My God, I haven't been on the brew deck in forever." Or you know, I've I've delegated to my team, and I love the beers that you know this company that I created. That I that I put my heart and soul into is making, but I'm not doing that. And so you're starting to see folks either transition out and go back into or find new creative pursuits as far as like distilling or, you know, winemaking or other things like where they can start to flex those creative muscles again and sort of give up some of the business aspects to go back to what brought them into it in the first place.
1: I think, yeah, yeah, that's a natural progression. I mean, for us, it was, if we just brew a little bit more each week and sell a little bit more, then we'll be able to afford a staff member to help us do this. And then before you know it, like you've got all these staff members that you need to manage and then you don't get to do what you set out to do in the first place. So it's not surprising to hear that, you know, in the industry here where it's a little more mature, folks have gotten their business to the point where they can come back to being creative. Um, that's definitely something that we're conscious of. I mean, Andrew is is dedicated to getting into the small brewery and producing something once or, or once a week or every other week or whatever wow. works. Uh, I'm, I'm heading down to Sydney to, to see the opening uh, next week. And I've got a choice. I can either let my team brew the beer or I can get myself in there and do it. Because if I don't do it now, I might never get a chance to brew on this new system we've just installed. So you're going to do it? I'm I'm pushing myself to do it
0: what are you gonna what are you gonna brew i haven't decided yet what do you want to brew
1: um i i am as you can probably tell by some of my answers i am at a creative like writer's block right now i've got i've got nothing flowing so all my brain power has just been sucked up with other things so you know it, it is as i speak this week and last calming down for me and i'm trying to get out and taste a few beers and find some inspiration but I just just can't commit to something right now. Um, we'll come what, down what to do the I house. Have. We'll open up the cellar. It'll All be right. fun. Uh, the, the Keller beer from Vine Stephaner, the five twelve, five sixteen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, that's interesting to me. Just simple. I gave it to my mother in law. I gave it to my father. Like people who are not beer drinkers. Just this tastes like what beer should taste like, and I like it. So
0: and that's how you get. That's how you get the people around. Yeah. In a minute, I'm going to ask you what you wish you knew uh, back as a homebrewer that you know now. Uh, but first, I want to thank our episode sponsors, g d Chillers, the premier choice for glycol chilling. You can go ahead and use the Tavor app to get highly rated independent craft beer delivered right to your door. And PacTech's packaging solutions deliver better market presence, and finally, Clarion is the expert in food-grade lubricants. Thank you for their support of this podcast. Chris of Batch Brewing Company, and the book that uh, homebrewers should go out and get called Brew a Batch, A Beginner's Guide to Homebrewed Beer. Is there something that uh, you wish you knew back as a beginning homebrewer that uh, you know now?
1: Well, just touching on the book, which was incredibly fun to write, so privileged that the only person who's invited me to do that. that. (laughs) No, it was, it was a great (laughs) chance to step away from the brewery and and think about why I, you know, started homebrewing in the first place. Um, one of the things I guess I would tell my, you know, home budding homebrewer self is if you do want to get really good at it, just pick one recipe and do it six times. And I mean, that's when when I transitioned my thinking from just brew whatever the hell I want because I'm just having fun on my weekends to I'm actually going to try to make a run at this as a career. I need to know if I can actually make beer. We we brewed six batches of our pale ale, and by the fifth one, we were, we were dead set that we'd landed on a winner. And from that, having that core ability to understand attenuation and flavor balance, you can brew anything you want. Like mm-hmm. if you just nail those things, clean ferment and balance, then, then yeah, it opens up every style and you'll never miss by much ever again. So that's what I tell myself. Awesome. Uh, if people are
0: in Australia, even if you're not, uh, where can they find Batch?
1: You can only find it in Australia. We're in key markets, Melbourne, Brisbane, a bit in Perth, a little bit in Adelaide, uh, but primarily 85% of our volume stays in Sydney. And most and of that's the around the city. Yeah, we've got the the one tap room in Merrickville which has been buzzing for years and uh, the one in Petersham is opening on the 3rd of August. Cool.
0: Chris Sidwell, thanks so much for sitting down with me this morning. This was a lot of fun and uh, I'm eager to see what, ha- what happens next and we'll check in I hope again
1: soon on uh the Australian US Australia yeah. uh, looking forward to it awesome thanks for having me John
0: of course uh, dear listeners if you have questions for me guests you'd like to hear topics you'd like addressed you can always reach out to me at johnhall at beerandbrewing.com that's j-o-h-n-h-o-l-l you can also join the conversation on twitter at john underscore hall you should also go to beerandbrewing.com that's where the Magazine lives online. You can subscribe there to the print edition. Please subscribe to the print edition. You can also catch up on what's happening in this craft beer scene. You can read reviews and you can find out uh, recipes and read recipes and then making yourselves uh, coming directly from the pros that are out there right now. So that's beerandbrewing.com, and we'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Thanks again for listening.